Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Thanks for downloading this podcast from Love Sport Radio. For more, go to lovesportradio.com for all the latest podcasts, news and views. Or for more, follow us at Love Sport Radio on Twitter. I don't know about you, I could listen to that all night long. You cannot not move to those sounds of the sax to Don't You Know, Pump It Up. The Whites are, of course, going up. I'm not going to have anybody else say anything different. Ten points clear. Ten points clear of third place in the championship. And yes, the seven-game winning run did come to an end last week against Cardiff. However, it is still 11 games unbeaten in the championship. 3-0 up against the Bluebirds last week. A Bluebirds, by the way, who were down to 10 men. But hey, when you pull off a backhill volley type of through ball like Lee Tomlin did for Glassell's equaliser, sometimes you just have to accept it. This is the Leeds United fan show here on Love Sport. Me, Matt Beadle, with John McKenzie, as always. The J-Man, the JJ-Man, the J&M, the Johnny Mac. From All Stats, aren't we? Hi, John. Yo, yo, yo. There we go, Boontown. How are we? Yeah, good. Uh, a little bit, a little bit rushed, but you know, rushed and flustered. Yeah, it's mate, it's Christmas time. Getting to Christmas. Yeah, it's the festive time. Mm. Mm. I've got, I've got you a start. You got me an opening start. After stat? telling you that I didn't have an opening <laughs> start, I've, I've, I've dug one. Amazing. I've, yeah, this Hit is me. this is what we do. So I've got a list here of of progressive passes and runs per ninety minutes. Of okay. course, you have. So, so that's basically players who progress the ball by passing and running the most in the championship is that like like dribblers or people yeah, who are passing it and, and then moving passing. so both so okay. the two stats added together okay so um do you want to have a guess for, for anyone in this list the most progressive player in leeds Le- no, in, in the leeds in, side. in the, ch- in the, in the championship. championship so i've got the list of everyone in the championship it's like 20 players in here so Crikey. i'm gonna say well he hasn't played his man i was gonna say costa would be high up the list, but I would say he's probably not had enough minutes to be high up up that list. Um, what about Matty Phillips? Matty Phillips is not on this list as far as I can see. Not even on the list? There are, however, two... There's two Leeds players in the top five. There's two West Brom players in the top five. And there's a Brentford player in the top five. We'll go with the top five, just so I'd have to... Okay. I'll do, the Brentford player, I would mm-hmm. imagine, would be... Again, didn't start the season, but I still say his stats are up there. Ben Rama is right. right. So Ben Rama is is second, um, and Ben Rama's pre- basically got pro- uh, passes, progressive passes per ninety, and progressive runs per ninety comes in at just under six. Um, there's a player ahead of him, a Leeds player, who is just over eight. So like, yeah, you know, over two progressive passes and, and runs per ninety above the rest of the field so like way out ahead you can see that on the thing wow i can see that uh do you want to do you want to have a guess please pablo pablo hernandez so pablo hernandez is is just he's he's essentially messy in the championship in terms of getting the ball into uh, moving the ball down the field uh, essentially the other players in that top five are mateus click is third uh, he's just behind ben rama uh, just under six uh, then Mat- mateus pereira and and grady 
uh, Diane Garner mm. um, and those two. So that makes up the top five. So Leeds have got two players in the top five. West Brom have got two players in the top five and both of those teams are in the top two in the championship. So it's a pretty good uh, indicator for, 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 for decent players. So That is where, my friend, these stats do not lie, <laughs> yeah. do they? No. They certainly don't lie. Um, right, let's talk about the game last week. Patrick Bamford, of course, said he was distraught after throwing away a three-goal lead. We speak about trusting the process a lot uh-huh. on this show. Hey, every so often, I think you've just got to have one. You've got to give it to a, an opposing team, or you've got to say, do you know what? That's our one for the season. I think that happened last Saturday. Yeah. I mean, I would agree with the, the sort of general principle of that, that you know, every once in a while there's going to be a result that doesn't go your way. It's not often going to happen that you're 3-0 up and that happens. So I think for me, you know, Josh and I recorded a podcast this week and we talked about it and then everyone else has been talking about it in the Leeds media. So it's one of those things now where, you know, you have a quite a gut emotional response to it when it happens and you're just, you're just frustrated and annoyed. Uh, but looking back on it uh, now um, and, and trying to... I've watched the game since. Josh has watched the game since and written a piece on our medium. So if you're interested in that, and that's a very good piece because he sort of breaks down what happened um, from the first goal that Cardiff scored when it going in, and then what happens afterwards. And in many respects, we were we were in pretty much in in total control um, until that second goal went in, and that's when things went to to pot a little bit. But they didn't score the the, the second goal until. 86 minutes so and a pass out of nothing let's yeah, not be I well, mean just an incredible piece of all of, of play. their goals all of their goals yeah. really were were out of out of nowhere now that's not to say that you can't point to things that Leeds did where they where they went wrong but I think what why this is such an outlier is because you don't expect the probability to go that way you, you, yeah sure you, you you expect someone to mess up every time there's a goal but you don't expect to have three chances that go in sort of very very low probability chances going in 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 that kind of game especially when you're in that sort of position so it's it's I think it's just one of those ones the the thing that worries me is is the fact that when it comes to this the sort of psychological fragility that we saw at the end of last season I think you know you you can see why that kind of thing would happen because the pressure is mounted up it's ramped right up you've got to win four games to get in the Premier League you end up taking just the one point you can understand why that would happen especially with a with a fairly inexperienced squad a lot of players who are playing above their level probably um and and not used to that what worries me about this is we were potentially 13 points clear of third place in second or in first it would have been uh, but we were potentially 13 points clear of third place we were three goals up and then to, to concede two goals and that, and that just then mean that their heads go is just a little bit, again, a little bit worrying to me because it's not it's not as, as though the, the pressure is almost worthy in that scenario. It, it's more uh, that, that sort of mental fragility where you think, oh, you know, here you go, this is happening again, rather than, look, we're, th- we're three, three nil up for a reason, we control the game, um, we know what we have to do, let's just get this game through to the end. So for me... That's the most worrying aspect of it. We could break down each of the goals and say, you know, Costa should probably have pushed out for the for the second one, but you know, there's mitigating factors, and you just like it's, it's it's very what frustrates me. I think about a lot of these responses. It's very easy to point at something and say, oh look, Costa should be closing down the man. If he closes down the man, they might not get as much time on the ball, might not get the ball into Morrison quite so easily. Ben White should have been tighter to his man, shouldn't have lost him. The thing is, is you just don't expect those sorts of things to... There's so many other variables in there that people just ignore and think, well, you know, it's sort of nailed on once you've not closed it down. There's so many things that could have gone wrong. The cross might not have been as good. Ben White might not have uh, have lost his man. And it's just the, the, just the, the aggregation of all those things happening at once. It's just so low, though. Um, I think we come out of those kind of games and we... We over-explain them because we think, well, there must be a reason why it happened when mm. I think it's just, you know, it's just the way it goes sometimes. Like you said, it's the way it goes. It's just so low probability. And that's the frustrating thing for us because we talk about trusting <laughs> the process and the process doesn't ever really seem to trust us back. <laughs> <laughs> well, the man who created the process in Marcelo Bielsa, um, I know he's a curious being, right? I get that Bielsa is the way that Bielsa is and we wouldn't change him for the world. But in the second half of that game, he seemed almost statuesque and I know that you know he was sitting on his little seat which he does occasionally but he it was like and listen I was in the crowd I didn't see a camera on Bielsa for 45 minutes straight but he did seem to not move from that position and did speak out after the game as well and said you know I got some things wrong I I knew what Cardiff's strengths were and I didn't resolve it and I know he alluded to set pieces and he said you know we we probably should have dealt with that better that was quite unlike Bielsa for me because normally he does rectify it 
Yeah, I think for me, the only really poor get piece of game management was probably being bringing on Pascal Struick, who's I think that might even have been his de- mm. debut uh, in the in the league at least. Um, and he was, I mean, he was caught out of position for the third goal. But you, you, how do you not get caught out of position when when you say, as you say, Tomlin sort of pulls off a sort of weird back heel where where he just gets the ball to bounce through perfectly for Glatzel. Um that was maybe maybe interesting. I think I think as well they must have decided to make that substitution before the second goal goes in. The second goal goes in, and they they think, oh, you know, we'll go with it anyway. Uh, but apart from that, you know, I think a lot of people like to blame Bielsa when this kind of thing happens, and I think a lot of it has to do with pe- the the players on the pitch. There's a sense in which you, you you can't blame he doesn't he can't micromanage everything. There's 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 a certain amount of um, sense in which he prepares them for the game and then they have to go out and do it um which is why i don't think this idea of sort of having a manager on the sidelines just shouting at everyone Mm. um i don't think necessarily uh, because you want your players to be able to think for themselves and i think that's a lot of what his well maybe it's not even thinking for yourself but you want your players to react the way that they have to react and a lot of his a lot of his training um, methods are based around the idea that you just automatically do things. So the idea that he could, he could be like telling them to calm down or whatever on, from the sidelines. I don't know, but again, it's it's. <laughs> I, don't, I think he'll he'll blame himself probably because he he's. I think he's very good at making his players feel. Um, as though that he wants to avoid negativities creeping in so he'll he'll happily say you know i made i made mistakes i should have changed things up but it doesn't stop it from just being horrendously unlucky all mm. the same so i think a classic example by the way as well of just seeing a game on paper or seeing the result is that i came in and did uh, the League One and Two fan show, which I do every Saturday evening and the score is on before me so i come on and speak to the guys from the score going through the results and they were doing the championship post-match fan show and they were like leads Draw away a three goalie. They were down to ten men, Cardiff. And you think, well, yeah, but Sean Morrison got sent off on what eighty six minutes. Yeah. They scored on eighty eight minutes. Yeah, eighty seven. Eighty seven. Eighty eight. So they, we had a free kick into the box, and then they the, the guy the, the goalkeeper kicked it down the field, and they scored from it. So it's not it's not a case of Leeds not being able to adjust to the fact that Cardiff were down to ten men because it was like you said, it was in such quick succession. It didn't yeah. really make a difference at that time. I think I mean there's questions about what we did from that free kick, but again, it's again it's sort of like really minuscule petty things. So the ball was kicked in, came out again came to click he tried to do his whip it into the top corner um that we've seen and it goes straight to the goalkeeper you know it's it's, it's or, or it went out for a goal kick i can't remember but that's the the thing is you know you don't ex- you, you can point to that and say oh this is terrible this is terrible game management they should have they should have played the ball back they should have kept possession but they've been keeping possession since the since the the first goal has gone in pretty well um and you just and and you just don't expect anything like that to happen really so it's just yeah i think it's just frustrating it's just frustrating more than anything yep it is indeed but like we said still 11 games unbeaten as things stand leads on 47 points 10 points ahead of preston on 37 of course the two meet during the festive fixture pile up two teams not really scoring any goals in the championship or struggling to find the net in the championship this season middlesbrough and stoke they are facing off at the riverside this evening and it's nil-nil. Hmm. Just what you would expect. Middlesbrough with a corner and no, straight into Jack Butland's arms. We'll give you all the d- updates on that as the game goes on throughout the course of the next 60 minutes or so. This is the Leeds United Fan Show. We'll be back in a second. Love Sport. It's the Leeds United Fan Show here on Love Sport. Me, Matt Beadle, with John McKenzie from All Stats, aren't we? As we are every Friday evening at 8pm. However, just a quick note, a quick reminder that this is it for 2019. This is it for the year in the Leeds United Fan Show. We're not going anywhere. We'll be back next year as we kick proceedings off again. But you've got about a two-week break, but then we'll be back rolling on it as Leeds no doubt will have extended their run or their lead ahead of third place or second place even. Maybe they'll be flying high ahead of West Brom at the top of the championship when we return. I've got a fun stat for you here. Brilliant, mate. We're starting with a second opening stat. The year 2000. Yep. Leeds were Mm -hmm. top of the league. Yep. The year 2010. Mm-hmm. Leeds were top of the league, so will Leeds be top of the league in two, th- 2020? As in the, so Leeds were top of the league when the yeah when the millennium when, when, when it the came millennium in. turned Leeds were top of the league. They were top of the Premier League, of course. Uh, top of I think they were top of. Will it be the League One in 2010? And then 2020, we could be top of the Championship. 
What a beautiful thing. Hmm. At the end of each season, though, obviously in 2000, didn't go on to win the Premier League in 2010. Yeah, I should know this, shouldn't I? Is that the is that the is that the season we went up from? It's a good question. One? We'll have a look at that. That's <laughs> probably no. We didn't <laughs> we, go up top though, did we? When we went up, we we went up in automatic position in second. So there you go. There you go. Interesting. Well, I'll, I'll quickly search that. Do search that. Do search that right now. See, we 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 lie deeper within the stats here. The the, the easy basic ones, we fall by the wayside on. I'm not very good on the on the history. Mm. Um, so we'll see. Okay. Well. Listen, it is the not only the end of 2019, it is the end of the decade, of course, going in to 2020. Now, when we get the answer from 2010 in terms of where Leeds were this time nearly 10 years ago to where they are now, I mean, what's quite interesting, and I, was, I waited to tell you this because when I was thinking about this earlier and I said, OK, well, the players who have played for Leeds, it occurred to me that... I still think of Leeds as, you know, that Premier League side from when the Premier League first started in 1992. And it is incredible to think that it's been since 2004. I know this is nothing new, but that it's been, you know, 15 years since the club were in the Premier League. And I suddenly started thinking of players that were in the Leeds side when they fell out of the Premier League and then those those early seasons in the Championship and League One, etc., etc. And I was like, that's not even in the last decade. It's been so long and so many players have come through the doors of Ellen Road. But... In terms of the last 10 years, John, we are going to pilfer through a whole load of players now and see if we can come up with a team of the decade. Mm, yeah. Uh, 2010, it was the season that we were promoted, but we were promoted in second place, so we dropped down. There we go. Yeah, so do you want to just run through in position position order? Goal, goalkeeper, I know you're, a, you're a, a goalkeeping expert yourself, so I'll let you decide between these three. I've got three here. Okay. I've got um, Kasper Schmeichel, Rob Green, and Kiko Kassir. Mm. Okay, well... It's hard, isn't it? Because like Casper Schmeichel went on to be this is it. better. Rob Green was at the end of his career, as is Kiko, right? So Casper just had the one year at least, didn't he? It wasn't long. It was maybe yeah, maybe yeah, just the, the one. one season. I think he came in and obviously then moved on to Leicester. I don't think that Casper can be given the title of the best of of a team of the decade for Leeds. I don't think so. I think it has to go with either Robert Green or Kiko Casilla. So. I'm gonna I'm gonna plump for Green. I'm gonna go Robert Green because again, he, I guess Kiko's only really had a season in a bit, but um, yeah. I just personally, I feel that I feel that he is a better goalkeeper than Kiko Casilla, and I feel that I know Kiko has done. Uh, he's been erratic in his time at Leeds. It's fair to say. So I'm gonna plump for Robert Green, especially in light of what we don't exactly know what's going to happen in January as well. So for me, Robert Green. Rob Green was only there for a year as well. Which goes against my logic with regards to Casper <laughs> Schmeichel. I thought he was there for longer. Uh, okay, I've only got there 2016, for a year. He played 46 games, whereas I think um, Schmeichel only played 37, <laughs> so nine games in it. But yeah, I don't know. I think it's an interesting one because looking back, I remember Casper Schmeichel being one of our brighter players. I think of that of that period. That was a good. I thought it was a good period for for Leeds, but um, I do remember him fondly. Whereas I don't remember Rob Green quite so fondly. But I guess with Rob Green, we had the um, we we had that season with um, Gary Monk, and it was it was a great season. Um, and he, I remember Green started off quite badly at he his got, time. At yeah, Leeds, he had a bit of stick on on Twitter. Because I remember. He, he'd not been playing right, and I think mm. maybe he arrived. Did he arrive in January? the previous season then is that why you're thinking he was there a bit longer because I remember he was he was not playing and was just sort of mooching around like going shopping with his wife and ended up um, he ended up just signing for Leeds for quite a small contract he didn't I think it was it was not a huge wage bill that he was on Um, and as a result of that he was quite rusty when he started off Uh, but I think he grew into that season um, and was and was it was quite good. I do recall, I'm sure he made a decent penalty save in one particular game. I remember it was like a, a really big game that he made penalty save, but perhaps that's standing out for me. He came, I don't think he was a January signing, I think he came in the summer. Okay. He made a mistake, did he make, he made a mistake and someone, he he fumbled it and someone headed it in. Who was it? Dwight Gale or someone? Mm, like Dwight really, Gale, it was Dwight really Gale, yeah. I was hoping you wouldn't remember that because as <laughs> I said, Robert Green, I did think, do you know what, actually, maybe not Robert <laughs> Green, but I'd already committed. So okay. I, well, I, I think it's, I think it's, it's an it's a fine line, isn't it, between the two of them? Um, I think Casper was like he was quite inexperienced at that point, whereas Rob Green was was sort of the other end. So you probably got an upside from one that you didn't get from the other. Mm. But we should we should we should move on. Centre backs, we've got actually I've got quite a few listed down. I've got Liam Cooper, um, Ben White, 
again that's that's a one season wonder for you but Pontus Janssen was was obviously important I've got Kyle Bartley as well and then honorable mentions for Paddy Kisnorbo and Tom Lees but I mean we're scraping at the barrel a little bit there um if it was my decision I think I would go I think Cooper and White is the best partnership we've had in in this decade um but Janssen and Bartley were a, a very important partnership for one season as well so you could go either either of those two but I think White is White is the player with the biggest ceiling out of all of those uh players but obviously he's right at the beginning of his career Liam Cooper I think has to have an honorable mention just because he's come from almost nowhere and 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 I mean he was being called League One Liam uh, when he when he was first at the club and um he's been absolutely exceptional for us so I would go Liam Cooper and Ben White for my centre-back pairing. See, now the whole one-season theory that I had before, I don't think that applies here (laughs) because they've made such an impact. I don't think either Kasper Schmeichel nor Robert Green, to be fair, made much of an impact. I think Ben White clearly has. And you can see, like you said, the ceiling, he's got the highest, 100%. I'm surprised you didn't go for Janssen over Cooper. I know you're talking about... I mean, you're looking at it in terms of a partnership, aren't you? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you could you could easily go with Cooper Janssen as well as a partnership mm. uh, from last season, but yeah, I I just think that the Ben Ben White and, and Liam Cooper so embody this team that we have now in the way that they play. Um, and there's a you know there was so much concern about um, about Janssen leaving, and and that has just been we've ne- we've not even really talked about it this season. We've not really worried about our centre backs at all, apart from when when Berardi's coming in. And I think that's just a real testament to just how good uh, Ben White has been because, um, yeah, you know, people would have been ready to say, well, you know, we shouldn't have got rid of Janssen. This is terrible. Mm. And I remember the, the interview with his mum in The Athletic where she said, oh, you know, we're a little bit nervous because he's still not made a mistake yet, but we know it's going to happen at some point. We're <laughs> midway through the season and it's not happened mm. yet. So um, it, it really is a testament to, to how good he is. So I, as a result of that, just the, the fact that he's come in He's played from the begin. He's played from the beginning in a system that that has that swallows people up. Like we've, it's taken cost, held a cost of this long to get used to the system as a wide player, which is probably one of the easiest roles to play in this system. Ben White's come straight in and and, and fit into that. So I think for me, that's why I've I've included him and him and Cooper because I think those two really embodied the system. I don't think Janssen ever really quite worked in the system, but he, he was obviously a great um, what's the phrase servant to the club. Uh, that's but he the was, one. He was he was he was an important player for us he scored a lot of important goals even Mm. Uh, but in terms of the system now it feels as though it feels natural to have those two okay what what formation are we going with here by the way i'm going with the 4141 of course just because um it gives you it gives you the 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 back four and it gives you a defensive midfielder and then like a the possibility of an eight and a ten so i'm just going to go for an eight and a ten in in the in the two central midfield positions and a left wing right wing and a striker okay just a little bit it makes a little bit more sense i think but you okay with that? I'm absolutely fine with that. Please, can we can we move to right back? Yeah, right back. I've got I really struggled in the full. We really struggle in the full back areas. Um, I've I've got I've got Sam Byram as an option and Luke Ailing as an option. Um, again, it's really hard to do this because there's so much recency bias in in this kind of. Um, in this kind of it's hard, process. isn't it? Yeah, because, especially because you've got one of the best teams that you've had in a long time, yeah, over the exactly. past couple of years. Yeah, and and I think probably you know the best the team of the decade is probably with a f- like you bring in maybe other players, but you could you could feasibly argue I think the current team, <laughs> the strongest team we feel this season is the team of the decade. But um, I think Byram Byram was again he was a really useful player in in a period where we didn't have many useful players, and he he pretty much carried the team for one season. And, um, or at least made them interesting to well, watch. What I think is interesting about Byron, because you talk about Ben White and you talk about the ceiling, he's got the biggest ceiling. At the time, you probably would have said the same about Sam Byron. Now, I know he's playing in the Premier League at the moment with Norwich, but he's not reached the heights, right, that he promised when he started at Leeds. No, and again, this is sort of this is a throwback, I think, to what I said before, which is, you know, we Leeds, Leeds have had such a weird history that we in the last decade we've been... We've we've been relegated from the championship. We've we've had a season where we didn't go up in the in League One. Uh, then we were promoted from League One, and then we sort of hovered around in the championship. So it means we just had a real um, gamut of, of of abilities in the team. And the problem is, is that when you're talk when you th- when you're thinking about a team of the decade, you're always going to be like, oh well, I know I I have this sort of emotional response to this name because he was probably the best player in the team at that time. But 
if you look at that player now compared to the team that we have, you kind of wonder, well, would they would they fit in? Even with the fullback thing, what I found interesting is that we, I saw on the other side, I've literally just got Charlie Taylor because I can't really think of anyone else who played there. <laughs> um, um, and the issue there is that we've got two very sort of, Sam Byram and Charlie Taylor feel like fullbacks who could have played maybe as, as wide players in other systems. Um, whereas we've now got, two potential uh, fullbacks who are actually wide players in other systems who've dropped back into 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 fullback positions and I, I find that's like a real again that's a real testament to the way that we play now that we that our best that our best players in fullback positions are players who've been pushed back from more attacking positions than than both Byram and um, and Taylor who I think actually were, were a little bit little bit more agricultural than 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 both Alioski and and Dallas mm. um I mean, for example, Charlie Taylor people love, but I mean, with Charlie Taylor, he sort of he sort of lumbered down to the the byline and floated a ball in and hoped Chris would would head it in, um, and that was basically our that was one of our modes of attacking during the during the Gary Monk um, season where we nearly got to the playoffs. Um, so, I, I think I, I, at a risk of like ending up playing our current team, I'll I'll take <laughs> Sam Byram, but. I don't think Sam Byram would would function, or at least he wouldn't f- be able to come into this system immediately, as as well as someone like Luke Ayling, um, and, and like the very fact that Luke Ayling is a centre back, well played as basically the right sided centre back in a back three when he was at Bristol City, and he's now sort of comfortably a right back. Again, a testament to the way that that, that Bielsa has 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 moulded this team. Although I suppose Ayling did play there as a. Uh, under Monk as well, so I, I think I'll go with Byram and and Taylor just to mix it up. But I think probably Luke Ayling is has, has probably had the better mm, the better the games in a in a lead shirt. Okay, let's let's move on to midfield. <laughs> we are slightly pressed for time. I'm not going to lie to you. You've thoroughly enjoyed this, haven't you? I've given you this task. Uh, well, I'll tell you yeah. what, you've relished it. Well, we could go into the. We could go. We could. We could. We could. Yeah. I'll tell you got, what. We've got sh- sh- only a few listener questions. So. Okay. We'll tell you what. We'll do that. So we've got we've got the goalkeeper in the back four. Moving <laughs> on to the midfield and attack. We'll bring you the rest here on the Leeds United Fan Show on Lost Sport. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Love Sport. Still Leeds United fan show here on Love Sport. Me, Matt Beadle with John McKenzie from All Stats, aren't we? And we are rifling through uh, John's team of the decade here. Of course, it is coming to an end this decade, this decade of the... I was having this debate earlier, John. The tens, the teenies? Oh, I don't know. I, I get confused by when the decade starts and when it ends, right? When's the... When's but the... aren't you a Cambridge, Cambridge graduate? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you... you, you there's, there's in this, so there's no, there's no year zero, right? It goes from 1 AD to 1... 1 BC to 1 AD. Right. So the first year of the decade, originally, is the year one. Right. So that means surely 2000, 2020 is, is the last year of the previous decade. So Josh has written on here the first year. I'm completely confused. I've gone from mimicking <laughs> you being a Cambridge graduate, and now you've just spoken <laughs> me into knowing, not knowing a clue what you're saying. No, I, for me, the decade is January the 1st, 2020, okay. through to December 31st, well, if it's good enough for you, Matt, it's good enough Thank for me. Thank you. We'll, we'll go with that. One AD is the first year, apparently. That's what I'm hearing in my ear now from our producer. One AD is the first year. Ten AD is the tenth year. Does that all make sense? Yeah? Good. Do. We'll, we'll, we'll move on to the midfield in our team of the decade. I was <laughs> talking about years. We have a goalkeeper in a back four. So we've now got our 1-4-1 uh, to finish. Yeah, so um, Calvin Phillips, central defensive midfielder. Shocker. 
Um, but it has I, to be. Yeah, exactly. I couldn't really think of anyone else in that position. We've had some terrible players in that position, really. I don't know. Liam Bridcut, I had a soft spot for, mm. but... Um, again, he was like Phillips light. He was never quite. He was never quite the, the level of Phillips. And again, it was in a team where, you know, he was just expected to be a destroyer. He wasn't. He didn't have both the the passing and the and the break up uh, side of his play. So I, I don't think that I don't think anyone's going to argue with this. Um, so I'll go with him. Centre midfield. I've got a few options. I've got Lewis Cook, Johnny Housen, uh, Adam Forshaw, and Matthias Click. Um, Johnny Housen. For me, I put him in because I'm scared of not putting well, not in the team. No, I put him in this list because I'm scared of people saying Donny was great for us. Right, in case you get the backlash. That's a good Leeds accent. Yeah, I like that's good, mate. I I like Johnny Housen, and Johnny Housen is a good footballer. But for me, without doing the whole Andy Townsend, for me, I just feel that I don't feel like he impacts a game enough. And perhaps I'm judging him on his time in the top flight. Maybe I don't feel like he properly impacted games enough. He was very good for Leeds. He was okay for Norwich, okay for Middlesbrough. I think I just don't think that he was was influencing games enough to be in a team of the mm. decade. Yeah, I I do agree. Um, I would I would say that again, Adam Forshaw and Matthias Click are in the current team. I think Lewis Cook was brilliant for us. Like he he was bossing the midfield um, for Leeds in at the age of seventeen. Um, and it's just been a disappointment that he's never really lived up to lived up to the expectations we had of him. Obviously, he won the was it the under twenties World Cup that he was captain England for. Um, so, and, and I think it's only a matter of time before he does sort of break into maybe a bigger side. But um, he was just incredible, and he was he was a bright spark in a very dark period as well. So I've gone with I've gone with Lewis Cook as the as the other central midfielder. Um, and then I've gone for a 10 as well, so I've got a few options here. Samu Saez, Pablo Hernandez, Ross McCormack, Alex Mower. We could argue about whether or not Pablo is a 10 or a wide player. He's a wide player now, but he, I think he was more of a 10 in his career. Certainly has the guile and uh, the ability to, to be a, a number 10, uh, although, yeah, maybe not so much anymore. Um, I've, I'm, I've got to get Pablo Hernandez in there, so mm-hmm. I'm going to go with him. Um Samu, I think, should have a memorable note, just uh, honourable mention, I mm-hmm. should say. Um, he was, he was, he was a very bright, again, a, another bright spark in a team that was just a dearth of creativity. Um, I've got that that word, the white word, dearth. I always think is like loads, but it's not. It's no, not dearth very much. Is the yeah, opposite. Dearth of yeah. creativity. That's great. Um, I put Ross McCormack in there. He's probably more of a striker, but he could play as a he could play as a ten as well. Oh, sorry, I've not put I've not put him in. I've just got him down as an option. Um, and Alex Moa as well. Um, probably not quite so good as the other two. So I'll, I'm going to go with Pablo here. Um, but that leaves me that leaves me problems uh, on the right wing mm. uh, because I can only think of Elder, Elder Costa. I guess maybe Snodgrass is an option on the right wing as well. He played there a bit. Um, I've also got him on the left wing. I'm I'm not a huge fan of Snodgrass. I thought that he was a shoe in for this. Really? Well, yeah, I really did. I really thought you were going to say yes, yeah, Snodgrass definitely. I mean, if I was to bring in Snodgrass, then I guess I would put Hernandez as. Uh, oh no, I've got Hernandez as a ten. Mm. I Snodgrass, I think, again was was uh, was probably too agricultural for me. Like he was, uh, he was a lot of heart and and a lot of uh, effort, and you know he has like that weird way of playing football where he doesn't look like he's a very good footballer, but he's surprisingly productive. Um, but I don't know. I just I, I have memories of watching him just sort of like ploughing up and down on one or other of the wings for Leeds and just sort of like flinging himself after the ball. Um, but at the time, was he not hugely rated at the time, which is why he got the move to Norwich? Yeah, I mean, no? he was obviously he was obviously rated. Um, but I, I mean, I think, I don't think there's any... It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because Costa's only really starting to show us what, what his upside is at the moment. But I think it's just clear that Costa's a better player. I think that's what's holding me back from like putting Snodgrass in. But then it it comes down to what what criteria do we have for determining who should be in the team of the decade? Should it be this player did more for Leeds than than the other player? In which case, it probably is Snodgrass. Um, but in terms of because uh, because we're going to talk about Beckford as well, obviously, and Beckford was barely there in the two thousand and tens. But 
you know, he was he. he I mean, the, the weird thing for, for for Beckford is that actually did a huge amount for Leeds. Uh, just most of it was before the twenty tens. But um, I think that that um, Costa will go on and be quite a big player for us in the future. So I've gone with Costa on the right, and and then I've gone Max Gradle on the left, mm-hmm. um, pushing out um, Jack Harrison. Um, so Jack Harrison is obviously an option. Um, again on in the wide areas for some reason we just have a real uh, a real struggle trying to get to fit people in you're struggling with the formation no no you? i'm not i'm just i'm getting because i haven't got much space on my piece of paper here <laughs> well there's only one more per- person no, i know, I, scan, I, so know. I was just making sure i had that bit right okay yeah so i've gone with i've gone with costa on the right yep um gradle on the left and then hernandez is a 10 mm-hmm. uh, and then up front it's um the three b's beckford Beckio, and bamford uh, and then Chris Wood as well, honourable mention for him. I'm going to go. I'm going to go for Patrick Bamford. I think that might be quite controversial. Quite, shut it down. Shut the radios <laughs> to everybody. We we'll just leave the building. Christmas is here. Good. We've, We've been the Leeds United fans. We've lost all <laughs> the listeners gone. anyway. Everybody's logged off. I can't believe it. <laughs> uh, wow. Okay, that is. Why does quite... that surprise you? You think I'm quite down on Bamford, but I've always been a, quite a stan. Yeah, no. To be fair, you have. Um, I think I'm just going with general consensus, and it's not um, overriding in favour of Patrick Bamford at all, is it? <laughs> but hey, I get, uh, that's why you're here, John. And <laughs> I can't believe you said that. No, this is fair play, and you're going to give me your reasons behind it. Well, I thought I thought you were going to go Becchio. I see again. Becchio is another player who I'm I'm a little bit low on. Um, again, because he was quite agricultural, and I think part of the problem really is that you know for most of the decade I didn't really enjoy watching us play football, mm. and now I do. And so, when you're choosing a team of the decade, like what do you go for? Do you go for again? We've we've said it already. Do you go for the do you go for the like stats and pr- production, or do you go for what you actually what you actually enjoyed and for me the last few years have been so much more enjoyable that I've I've tended in my team to go for players who I enjoyed watching play um not simply from a productive side but from an aesthetic side as well um and I think Patrick Bamford I think we'll look back at Patrick Bamford and we'll realize just how I mean we do we do it anyway you know he come he came off against Cardiff and and after we were 3-1 up at that point and after that um, point we lost a little bit of control and you know it's it it's little things like that where with with players like Bamford you you have to sort of look hard to see what it is that they do you can't just watch the ball you have to watch what the team are doing as well and and for me like we've not had a, a striker who's just been as as well-rounded as Bamford in the in the in the decade so I've, that's why I've gone with him Beckford I would have gone for had he had more uh, time maybe in the for Leeds but then let's not forget that he played most of his a lot of his career for Leeds in League One as well, which I think does have to impact it. And yeah, Chris Wood had a had a good season. He was very productive, um, but I just don't like watching Chris Wood play. I mm. think he's again another agricultural player. So, yeah, that's my team of the decade. Do you want to read it out? We are going to read it out now. Right. So John McKenzie's Leeds team of the decade, which started on the first of January 2010 and ends on the 31st of December 2019. Is a four-one-four-one formation in goal. Robert Green. <laughs> in goal, it is Robert Green. Then we've got Byron Cooper, White, Taylor, Calvin Phillips, Lewis Cook, Hernandez, Costa, Gradle, and Patrick Bamford. I'm just That's worried not. that like there's some obvious player that I've completely forgotten about who should have gone in. But... Well, well, hey, listen, I'm sure we will put this out on our Twitter at Love Sport Radio. So if anybody has anything to say <laughs> about John McKenzie's team of the decade for Leeds United, please do let us know or tweet us right now at Love Sport Radio. Right, we are going to move on because Fulham are up next and we are going to be looking ahead to that game and the rest of the festive fixtures here on Love Sport. Love Sport. It's Love Sport Radio, and you're listening to the Leeds United Fan Show. And I'm sighing because in the ads, we are still debating just what constitutes <laughs> a decade. I can't quite believe it. And to be fair, they've they've kind of converted me over to the logic that they were given that if you start a decade on the the tenth, which is what it is, the ten, like the rounded ten. So twenty if we're starting on twenty twenty, technically, it should finish, I suppose, in twenty thirty. You do raise a valid point, John McKenzie. <laughs> uh, and we don't know when the world started. And is it even 2020? Who knows what's going on? We don't know. What we do know, however, is that Leeds travelled to Craven Cottage <laughs> tomorrow to place Fulham. Sixth placed Fulham, of course. Desperate to keep their place in the playoffs and perhaps, potentially, close some ground on the top two, being West Brom 
and Lees. On the line to talk about that now is Alan Druitt Jr. from the Hammy N blog. Hello, Alan. Hello, how are you? Good, thank you. Very well. It's great to have you on the line. Thanks for joining us on this Friday evening. Now, Fulham hosting Leeds. Fair to say the Cottagers, great November, a pretty dreadful December, would you say? Yeah, it's not been great, has it? Um, we've lost our last three games after winning the previous four. Um, we've been quite unlucky with injuries to the centre of our midfield. Um, we've lost Harry Arter, Harrison Reed, and we're playing with Kearney a bit too deep. Um, so, you know, I think we should have one or two of them back tomorrow. So I'm hoping that can make the difference. There's been a lot of talk about about um, whether or not Scott Parker is a good manager. What is your opinion on this? That's a good question. Um, I like him. Um, I'm not one for changing managers at the first sign of trouble. Um, I think he's, you know, the last few games have been disappointing. Um, and a few of his substitutions are a bit questionable. But look, he's still learning. Um, we're six. Um, you know, we're in a playoff position as it stands. And we've still not really reached our full potential. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to give him time. And, yeah, I, I'm fully behind Scott Parker. In terms of the festive fixture pile-up that is now coming, Alan, how, and look, it might be a simple question, but how crucial are the next few games for Fulham in terms of those promotion hopes? Like we just said there, you know, dropping down to, to sixth, in the championship table. It's so tight, as it is every single season. But Millwall, recently with a great run. Cardiff just starting to look pretty good under Neil Harris at the moment. All there within a shout. Cardiff just three points from within Fulham. So these Christmas fixtures are often so important come the end of the season. They are. Um, and once we've got, Le- we've got Leeds tomorrow, which is a huge game, I think, for both teams. Um, and then we've got quite a, a nice run of fixtures. Um, we have Luton, Reading, uh, and a few other teams which are, are lurking around closer to the bottom than they are the top. So if we can pick up a, a good result tomorrow, then we can you know, go on a run ourselves and try and close down the big boys at the top. Does it, worry, yeah. does it worry you that you're struggling against top six sides at the moment? Because obviously the last uh, four games that you've had have been against top, top six sides and you've struggled. Is that, is that a concern for you going forward? Is it, you, surely you need to be beating some of those sides if you want to be considered uh, potentials for promotion. Oh, of course. Um, the thing is, if you go back to, to Preston, for example, um, that was a scrappy game. Two red cards in the first half and we probably should have got something out of that. Um, our, our noticeable win of the season so far is Swansea away. Um, they seem to have dipped a, a bit in form as well. But, you know, we've lost to Brentford and we seem to have played the big boys at the wrong time. And it might sound like it's an excuse, but as I said, our central midfield is pretty much vital to the way we play. Um, and if you lose the, the likes of your Harry Archers and your Harrison Reed, um, it's always going to be difficult. But um, I think a win tomorrow could put a, you know, mm. can get us back into contention. How do you think that you're going to line up tomorrow? How do you think the midfield is going to look? Because obviously you've had Josh and Omer playing quite deep and then and then Kenny just in front of him and then Johansson next to him as well. And I've watched a couple of your games recently and it, the midfield has looked very uh, static, um, very un- unable to to decompress when after they've been in defensive situations, they seem quite slow getting into d- a defensive transition. Is is that is there something that's going to change tomorrow, or do you think that it will be much more of the same? This is the issue. I think um, Kenny has been playing too deep alongside Johansson, um, and Anoma has been playing sort of behind Mitrovic, but nobody knows Anoma's best position yet. Mm. Um, does he play further uh, a bit deeper does he play further forward nobody knows his exact role um, and he's, he's sort of filling in a role which Kenny does really well um, and I think you know in my opinion Kenny's probably one of the best number 10s in the league mm. um, definitely one of the best passers of the ball and he can control the game but we're sacrificing his quality going forward to try and counteract that with stopping goals going in but we're not doing either at the minute. So I'm hoping Harrison Reed is back tomorrow. We can push Kearney further forward and you know help Mitrovic score the goals which we vitally need at the minute. 
Do you think? Do you think Parker's just sort of? It feels to me like I've watched the last three games, and it feels as though he's just tweaking around with the midfield a bit too much. Uh, he's thinking that the best way to solve this 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 poor run is to is to just turn the triangle around in midfield a few times and see what happens. This is the thing. This it does worry me a little bit um, when a manager is starting to become under pressure. They start making too many changes. Yeah, and I feel he's going down this route. Um, and I think tomorrow will, will tell us a lot as fans as to whether the players actually want to play for him. Um, because there has been the odd hearsay saying, you know, he's starting to lose a dressing room. Um, he is making too many changes. Same happened with Jukanovic the season before in the Premier League, too many changes. Um, and, you know, I think the first sort of 20, 30 minutes tomorrow, I think you'll see if, if we do start on the front foot and we do take an early lead, you know, they will show some fight. I think if you know we go back into our shells, lead score early, then it could be a long afternoon for us. Well, on that note, Alan, it's been great having you on this evening. Thanks so much for coming on this Friday evening. But your prediction ahead of tomorrow's game? I've always got to be confident at the cottage. Um, I'm going to go for a 2-1 win. Ooh, a 2-1 win. Ending, ending that 11-game unbeaten run for Leeds United. Alan Drewitt Jr., thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. That was Alan Drewitt Jr. from the Hammy End blog. He reckons that Fulham are going to end Leeds' 11-game unbeaten run. Of course, the winning unbeaten, well, the winning run, I should say, was ended last week against Cardiff. What do you reckon, John? It's a horrible fixture, really. Um, I've just done a tactical preview for us today on our on our Twitter site, and I just I'm just very I'm very low on Parker as a manager. I've watched a few of their games. They, they, they no one seems to know what they're doing. They don't transition well either direction. They don't make the most of having some of the best players in the league. Um, but they do have some of the best players in the league, and that means that they can sucker punch teams just by relying on having. Alexander Mitrovic or Ivan Cavaliero, Tom Kearney, some of the best producers in the in the league, and that's what worries me is that you know we we know we we spent the first fifteen minutes talking about what happens when the luck doesn't go your way, and um, Fulham are definitely a team who can do that. But I think if we if we can manage the game as we usually do, if we can control the game, if we can prevent them from from doing what they do, and what they do is very simple. They try and get the ball wide, try and get the ball into the box from wide areas to to Mitrovic. If we can if we can keep the ball and stop them from doing that, uh, and then look to find the space that their fullbacks leave because they have to push up to to try and get those wide areas, I think will cause them problems. Um, but you know, I'm I'm not actually looking forward to it that much. I'm a little bit nervous about it. Mm, okay, well look. We've got four and a half minutes, so we cannot end the year without some listener questions, which is exactly what we're going to do. And we're going to move straight into Nat Dufton, of course, who was on the show last mm. week. If Forshaw doesn't recover from his injury for a while, who would you like to see brought in to replace him, either from the under-23s or transferred in? Oh, you know, I've, I was in such a rush getting, getting everything sorted for tonight that I haven't even really thought about how I would answer this, this question. Um, from I mean, obviously the the natural successor to Forshaw is uh, Jamie Shackleton. Um, I don't think Shackleton is anywhere near the level of Forshaw. I don't think that's a particularly surprising thing to say. I think obviously Adam Forshaw is twenty seven, twenty eight. He's he's sort of a, a, he's an experienced um, central midfielder. He's played in the Premier League and and was a good player for Middlesbrough in the in the Premier League when they were there in a team that wasn't very good. Um, so I don't I don't mean to say that pejoratively, but I I I do think that he'll be the natural successor, um, and I think that's what will <laughs> that's what will happen if if things continue. He will be the backup um, for the foreshore position or whatever that position is now. I guess it's now the click position. But um, who would I like to be brought in? Oh, uh, Josh De Silva from Brentford is a fantastic mm. player. Um, Ovi Ajaria is a fantastic player. I would take either of those two. Um, no, no problems asked. Um, I mean, we could go even higher, couldn't we? Like, can I just pick anyone? Who do you want? Do <laughs> <laughs> you know? Maybe Pogba would probably be quite good in that position. Yeah, he may well go. Although, who knows? After what <laughs> Rayola said today about him uh, wanting to win trophies at Manchester United, interest in that after he might be on for a twelve million pound commission should they sign Erling Haaland. But this is the Leeds United fan show. Let's not focus 
on that silliness. We're going to move on to questions from Marcus Stanway now. If he scores on Saturday, it will be 10 goals in 23 games. Do the stats suggest, and you might be inclined to suggest they do after he was voted in John McKenzie's team of the decade, <laughs> decade that Patrick Banford is on for 20-plus goals this season. Well, I think we said it early on in the season, didn't we? Was It was, it was either me or it was, it was Josh. Um, we've, we've both been quite um, hot on, on Banford and... Uh, yeah, I think he. I think he will um, if he keeps keeps on going. Um, so yeah, ten 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 goals in twenty three games means double that, and you end up with twenty. So yeah, why not? Let's go with that. Quick math, mate. I told you. See, I knew you were a Cambridge graduate. For it a just reason. depends on which decade he'll do it in, man. And we, <laughs> yeah. none of us know. Right, rattling through. Christopher Rutherford. Will Leeds go off the boil like they did last season after starting so well in the first half of the season? Uh, no, I don't think they will. Um, I don't think well I don't think they went off the boil I think they 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 panicked a little bit so let's let's say that I think they'll be fine I think one there's there's two differences one is we've had another season with Bielsa players understand the system more and the players are fitter uh, and then the other thing is that this league is different to last season um the teams outside the top two are just beating each other in a fairly round robin way and it's working out quite nicely for us so I mean take ten, we're 10 points after a disappointing result um, clear of, of third so I think everything should be fine and I'm hoping that that buffer stays because I think should that buffer be, be um, reduced and you could be in that position again but I think we're, we're doing enough to, to make sure that buffer stays quite quite comfortable Okay, and to finish, not just the listener questions, but the show for 2019. This is from Bat Shoot, uh, James Milner, basically. Would he come back and would he add to us as a team? Bear in mind, he's just signed a new contract at Liverpool. Yeah, it's an interesting, interesting question. Like, where would where would he fit into the Bielsa side? I mean, he, he fits everywhere in Liverpool. So I guess he would, knowing Bielsa, he'd probably play as a left back. Uh, but if not, yeah, maybe back up to, to Calvin Phillips. Lovely stuff. Well, John, it's been nothing but a pleasure being with you here for the past few months or so as we have reached the end of 2019. This has been the Leeds United Fan Show. You'll be back in 2020. Mm, I will. We'll be back in 2020. We'll leave you then, but we're going to finish on what can only be a high. We'll see you next year. for downloading this podcast from Love Sport Radio. For more, go to lovesportradio.com for all the latest podcasts, news and views. Or for more, follow us at Love Sport Radio on Twitter. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.